Welcome to the Creators on Comics podcast. This podcast is a conversation between two creators, dissecting the craft and technique that goes into creating comics. This episode features Mark Michaud and Lyndon Redchenka. Mark Michaud is the cartoonist behind Arc 29, one half of the graphic novel Home, Volume 2. Lyndon Redchenka is the writer and letterer of Infinite Universe. Both their books have been nominated for Best Graphic Novel at the Sequential Magazine Awards. Hi, my name is uh, Mark Michaud. I'm uh, one half of the creative team behind a comic called Home. And it's a science fiction uh, story that I work on with my brother, Daniel Michaud. We each tell our own stories in a shared science fiction universe. And um, I'm here to talk about uh, my project, how I work, all that stuff today with uh, Lyndon. Uh, hi, my name is Lyndon Rachenka. Uh, I am a comics writer and letterer. I'm here to talk about my first graphic novel, which is called Infinite Universe. Uh, it's illustrated by Stephen Call. And the reason I think that Mark and I are talking to each other today is because we're both up for sequential magazine awards for best graphic novel and it's a good opportunity for us to talk as creatives to one another about what process is like and I'm super excited for this conversation uh, because I've had a chance to read your book and I think that it is um, fascinating and beautiful and I'm so interested in hearing what the collaborative process is to work on this with your brother um, because it's like there's two separate stories in this book, right? And I just, um, from someone who's only worked with an artist uh, for the entirety of a book, you're an artist illustrator. And I am so interested to hear what that process looks like when it comes to putting a book together like this. So that's kind of all folded into the, even the origin of the book, like how everything came together. Um, for sure. So uh, I'll kind of take it back, but... Uh, so the way it started was, uh, yeah, I'm going to go right into the origin of the book. I was living in Francis is a long time ago. So, uh, and um, I had been offered a, um, a project. I had been offered a, a script written by uh, an established um, writer, author out of France. And um, I kind of saw it as my uh, foot in the door. This was going to be the start of my career. And it would have been in the in the uh, Bande Disney world. I would have been, uh, you know, working in the European comic book market. And um, so I met this writer here in Quebec. And then uh, through, uh, you know, coincidences of life, my wife got a job in France. We moved to France, which was perfect, given that I'd be working in that, in that environment. Uh, so I, I set to work on these uh, on the script. Um, and I drew at the time what I thought were my maybe 10 or 12 best pages and then when the writer came to meet me again and I showed it to him, he just kind of was like, oh, no, this isn't at all what I want. And that was the end of the conversation. We were done. You know, it was just uh, so I had invested all this time and effort into what I thought was going to be the start of my career. Um, and then it didn't work out. So I went through a bit of a I won't say a depression. I just was feeling pretty low at the time. I really was concentrated on being an artist and and drawing somebody else's script. And that basically is what flipped the switch for me. And I just said, okay, uh, I'm going to try and write my own story. And this way I'm not dependent on anybody anymore. It's just a question of 
producing my script, drawing it, and that'll be it. Uh, around the same time, um, uh, my wife and I had our first kid. And so it basically was just a, a simple economics question in our ho home. Um, my wife makes a better salary than I do. So I stayed home. I was a stay-at-home dad who drew comics during nap times and in evening time and all this stuff to try. And, you know, and, and I did. I managed to finish the first book. Uh, I almost found myself a, a publisher in French out of Quebec. Um, and then that fell through. And then uh, we moved to Malaysia. And in, <clears throat> so we spent a couple of years in Malaysia. And uh, just before coming back to Canada, I met a Malaysian publisher who published comic books over there in English. And I showed him what I did. And he said, yeah, sure, I will publish this book for the Malaysian market. So the book, uh, the first volume of Home came out in Malaysia in 2017. Uh, and then I used that printed version to find a publisher here in Canada. Um, so going back to the beginning, when I came up with the idea, it's a, a man who inherits a spaceship is the, is the core center of book one. And I wanted to split it into two parts and tell the story of uh, the colonization of a planet 400 years ago, 500 years ago. And then the character who leaves that colony, you know, 500 years post-colonization. Um, when I explained that to my brother, he just kind of was like, that's really cool, it's huge. How about I take over the story of the colonization and you tell the story of the character that leaves the planet. And I thought that was awesome. I, lo I love the idea of working with my brother. We've always kind of worked together anyway. And so that's how he ended up drawing and telling the stories. After that, we are constantly consulting each other to make sure that we're uh, on the same page. But um, he really is telling his story and I'm really telling my story. And they aren't intended to overlap in any way except for like shared uh, names, locations and things like this. But we're not like going to cross over at some point or anything like this. Anyway, sorry to go on for so long. No, that's so fascinating. And um, there's a lot in that whole story that I want to talk about. But the first thing that I need to, I need to circle back on this, and it ties into the whole original question is, you know, both you and your brother are per, like professional level artists, um, regardless of publication status, purely in the, the quality of your work. I've read your, I've read the book. I read the whole thing through. Both of you are skilled enough artists to be professionals. And I need to know what that was like um, growing up with one another. Like, were you competitive? Were you like, was it always a teamwork effort? I need to know what this was like. I'm an only child and my artistic ability is terrible. Um, so I need to know what that experience was like. Okay, well, I've got two brothers. My older brother doesn't draw at all, but does okay. does tell stories. So that seems to be a constant through the three of us. And we were all reading comics growing up. And then uh, for the competitive side of it, I wouldn't say that it was ever um, outright competitive on the artistic side. We always kind of worked together. Like I studied, um, I did some fine art studies in Alberta. When I finished there, I was offered a contract to paint a historical mural in our hometown. Um, so I roped my younger brother in at the time he wasn't even, he was still in high school, but I roped him in to be kind of like my assistant painting a mural. And that kind of became a sideline for us for a while. I mean, I think we've painted 15 or so of these, uh, murals and for comics, like we were always drawing, you know, copying pages out of comics at home, stuff like this, but neither of us, um, really jumped into actually producing a comic, Like you'll, you'll read interviews with comic book artists who are like, I was in grade six and I made my first comic and I was selling it to kids and I was, 
you know, I never did that. Um, yeah, the, the Todd McFarlane story, right? Pardon me? The Todd McFarlane story. Yeah, exactly. Like for me, <laughs> um, the, the real barrier for me, the, the whole time, I, until I was in my 20s, I, I didn't make my first comic until I was uh, 21 or 22. And the whole reason for it was just basically like a real, um, I just felt not good enough. You know, I would look at what I enjoyed and then I would look at what I was making and I just felt that the, the jump between the two was too great. And so I would just always be like, I'll get better and then I'll make it, you know, I'll, I'll keep working to get better and then I'll make the comic. And then what happened was um, I was living in Edmonton and uh, my uncle who lives here in uh, gets no uh, came to visit us and he told us about the university here in, in Hull uh, gets no that offered a program in bound Disney. So he described it as um, caricature. You know, so I assumed it was kind of like newspaper editorial work, whatever it was, but it sounded interesting and it sounded kind of linked to what I wanted to do. So uh, both of us, my brother and I came to visit the university. And when we got here, we realized, oh, no, this isn't editorial cartooning. This is full blown um, bande dessinée. Like they are they're offering a, a bachelor's degree in comic book illustration, storytelling, all of the foundations. And they had uh, guest um uh, artists from Europe as teachers so it was it was really impressive so I moved here enrolled um, everything was going really well except for that I had to pay for all the classes that I'd already taken in Alberta they weren't giving credit for you know and the, these are the basic classes drawing one drawing two design one stuff like this and so I couldn't afford to pay a second time for all these classes and I went to talk to uh, his name is Edmond Baudouin I'm not sure if you're familiar with his, his bande dessinée it's very kind of experimental poetic black and white stuff very just beautiful stuff anyway he was the professor at the time I went to see him you know I showed him my portfolio of stuff and told him how I felt and he just kind of said you know uh, in comics it's not going to be having a, a bachelor's degree that dictates if you succeed or not it's basically if you can do it or not I think you can do it do it you know so he didn't tell me to drop out um, but he didn't tell me not not to drop out either and then uh, yeah from there, we moved to France the first time, came back, and yeah, just things happened. No, that's that's great. Um, you're just leading me on to more to more questions here, I suppose. So uh, the first, I would say, for the, the listener who's not familiar, and you know, even I'm not super familiar. I'm currently living in northern France. I've been here for six months now, and have have really been enjoying the Bon Dessinée seen in Europe. Um, but how would you describe what the bond, what, I, what the bond dessinée is uh, compared to the sort of mainstream comics that most people would be used to? Uh, the biggest difference for me is just the, the, the range of subject matter. You know, you've got your big your big titles, you know, Tintin, Asterix, and Obelix, Lucky Luke, all the classics that everybody's familiar with or whatever. But in the larger sense, you have stories that cover every, I feel like it's closer to what cinema might be here, where you can have every type of story, romance, romance, comedies, comedy, you know, anything is possible and they'll do it. Whereas I think in North America, we're still, you know, of course, independent comics fight that trend. But we're, we're still fixated on the by, superhero comics, right? Right. We're, the comic shops are still dominated by the big two image. You know, if you want to include image and dark horse and stuff, you're still talking superheroes at, at its core. So that would be probably the biggest difference. And that people treat it 
with respect. <laughs> it's a, it's a people respect the art, the the world of comics over there much more so than here. I find I, anyway. I believe that I was in a um, a magasin de bande dessinée, which is a you know a comic shop essentially. Um, last week, and I was purchasing a copy of Tout Seul by Chabouté. You can correct my pronunciation. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, which the definition of the title is All Alone. And it's this beautiful book about a man who's trapped on a lighthouse island and he imagines the rest of the world based on the words he reads in the dictionary and his interpretation of those words are always slightly askew, but he's never been off of that island. So he doesn't know any better. And it's this um, beautiful, almost silent book. Um, and I, you know, I'm a, a French novice at this point, so I can't read complicated French still, but I can understand this book and the amount of depth that's in it is completely beautiful. And the, um, the man who was working behind the counter at the shop um, explained to me that this book was, that I would be able to understand this book because I told him, you know, I was still starting in French and that it was a, a classic French work. And he, he was taking it very seriously. And there are people in North America who work in comic shops that take their comics seriously. But to look at this book, it's not a, a DC like house style comic. It's a mix of like cartooning as it meets or long form cartooning for, for lack of a better way to describe it. And I think you're absolutely right that the bande dessinée, the range of bande dessinée or co European comics is so much wider than what we're used to in North America. And it's not that um, we don't have this vast range of books in North America, but it's that they get so buried underneath the, the mainstream titles that everyone is fixated on still. Um, so I think you're, you're spot on in those comments. And I wanted to circle back to what uh, your professor said, because I think He's right also, and I've been told this too, where uh, comics is very much a, um, you know, a merit-based industry in that your, your credentials aren't necessarily what's going to take you anywhere. It's the, the product that you can make and the portfolio that you possess and not necessarily just who you know or um, where you went to school, it, like it is in some in some other professions. Uh, right. So I think that I think that that's totally a spot on illustrate totally a spot on example for illustration, especially. And um, yeah, I, I suppose what I'm trying to get at is that I completely agree. As amazing as that program sounds, I completely agree that uh, if you can draw, you can draw. Yeah, and I, I'm not saying I'm not taking anything away from the program. Had I not had taken those classes, I would have I would have finished the program. I'm not saying my career would have taken any different paths. I, I might be in the same position I am today, or I might be a successful, well known. I, who knows, you know? But it, it really. I, I wanted to just totally. go back one other thing about the the European market versus the North American market, <clears throat> and where I, I find the North American market is kind of like. Um, 
stuck in an adolescent phase and is you know something about um in the european market you've got very clearly delineated you've got your comic books that are intended for kids and they're intended to read these comics and then you you age out to your middle-aged comics and then you kind of move your way through whereas in north america the comics were intended for kids to begin with and instead of leaving them for kids we've we've aged up to comics to now being grittier and more violent and all these types of things but at, at its core it was still an um like th these were initially made for children and so there's no real place for them to age into because we kind of folded it into the superheroes so instead of like having superheroes to start with and then moving into you know maybe more um i hate saying adult or you know whatever it is but something that's a little bit more serious or whatever it is that, that the, the options just weren't there. We're starting to find it now with independent comics and the, the boom of graphic novels and this type of thing where, you know, finally the big publishers, you know, Penguin and Random House and these places are, are treating graphic novels with a certain amount of respect because the dollars are there, right? They see, they see that there are sales in that. So of course, but it'll take time to fill the void of, uh, you know, a, a generation of people only reading comic books that were superheroes or whatever. You're saying it's sort of this idea that, um, you know, in the in European comics, as you said, there's delineated um, types of books for different age groups. And in North America, there isn't. And instead of that, people took the comics that were for kids and decided to start altering them for older age groups rather than just create comics for older age groups to start with. Right. Yeah. Okay. So do you, do you think then that... Um, I'm assuming then that your your position is that things are better in the the European market in terms of creating clearly adult books or clearly um, not adolescent books, but sort of more mature readers. You think? Do you think things would have been better if people had left superheroes for kids? I think there's room for superheroes that can be mature as well. Like I think there's there's room for for all of it, but I just feel like it was kind of. Um, it just kind of stayed in that one lane instead of broadening its appeal. It really just kind of really stuck to that one focus for just too long. Like we're, I think we're coming out of it. And like I said, I still, I still buy superhero comics. I enjoy them as, as entertainment or whatever it is. I just don't really have any, it's not my goal to uh, draw them anymore. You know, as a kid, that would have been what I wanted to do. But as I grew up and my, my taste changed, my everything evolved it's not what I want to do anymore. I'd much rather be telling, you know, like the stories that I tell, I guess are real slow pace. There's not a lot of action, but that's not, it's not what I want to do. I guess that's not where my, my interests lie. No, Hey, you're uh, preaching to the choir when it comes to the range of possibilities in modern day mainstream superheroes and that sort of notion that they're like zombie properties and that nothing can ever change in them and nothing can ever um, nothing of consequence can ever happen because, you know, they're corporate properties now, right? And the best way to make money for them is to uphold that sort of status quo that they have. Right. Um, and, you know, you look at, you know, you look at Spider-Man's recent comics past as an example of that and how Marvel decided to like renege his whole story arc and retcon it and that's how we ended up with the, the brand new day story arc which you know the newest spider-man movie is based off of 
Um, I did have a question though about your first volume of home. If we're allowed to uh, to branch off from sure. just talking about the second volume, and that's um, you said you were looking for a publisher in Quebec for it, right? Yeah. Now, is it written in French? No. Uh, well, no. Initially, I actually again, this is the the backstory for that first book is so long and, and complicated, but um, no, I. I'm from Alberta, uh, Franco-Albertan, so I grew up speaking French at home with my parents, going to school basically in English with some French classes. Eventually I went to a French school, um, but I never um, and still don't really feel comfortable writing in French. Uh, the rules are complicated and for dialogue to feel natural, it's already, it's hard enough under the best of circumstances, but to do it in a second language, or what feels like a second language, even, even if it technically was, you know, my mother tongue, I spoke it at home. Um, because, my, you know, the, the foundational French just wasn't good enough. You know what I mean? Like the, I didn't learn verb conjugations and all these types of things <clears throat> until it was too late and I, it never really stuck. So I just never, never felt comfortable writing in French. So what, I, what happened was because I was living in Quebec and all of my Kind of closer contacts in the comic world were through the university which was all in French. I found myself a translator here in, in Gatineau who would translate the pages. I was attending festivals here in Quebec. Um, <clears throat> there was a publisher who had initially expressed interest in, in um, publishing the book. Uh, I had actually book one I drew um, uh, twice over. <laughs> I, the first time I drew it was really when I was uh, taking care of the kids. And so I was experimenting with each chapter, trying to find the quickest way to draw the book because I had so little time. And so with each chapter, I was trying a different uh, method. Uh, one would be pen and ink. The next one would be ink washes. The next one was, uh, you know, like a, a finished pencil, you know, just different techniques. And when I showed it to an editor, he really enjoyed the book. He was like, yeah, this is great. I I'd love to publish it, but I think you should draw it in a single style, start to finish. So I said, okay, that sounds great. I did that and it took me a long time to do it. In the meantime, uh, he got fired and the new guy was not interested in the book at all. So oh, no. that just kind of like fluttered away. And that's when we went to Malaysia. And I just kind of, at that point, I wasn't sure what, like if I would continue on this project or not. Once I saw interest from somebody in Malaysia, I just needed somebody to show interest, I guess. And once, once the guy in Malaysia showed interest, I was like, okay, so there's something here. I'll keep working it. Uh, then I made book two and now I'm uh, like, I finished book four. Now I'm, I'm well ahead of the publication schedule. So uh, I've got quite a bit done, but um, yeah. So when I came back home from Malaysia, uh, I had finished my 80 page book. They wanted a hundred pages. Um, Daniel hadn't drawn anything yet, but he had his story worked out. So instead I asked him to draw what was essentially like a trailer uh, for what he would tell in the future. So he has like a 15 book page. Yeah, it serves like a trailer of the stories that he's going to tell uh, in the future in book one. So, and book one, yeah, the story is, is uh, happening in the future compared to book two. It's, he's left the planet. He's on the, he's on the ship. The captain has died and he's inheriting it and is not sure what to do with himself anymore. All right. So I've got one more here. Um for you, Mark, and this, you know, maybe call it completely selfish or self-interested, um, but as someone who 
you know, pitches books out to publishers. How did you find a Malaysian publisher? That just blows me away. <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, it blew me away too because um, it's not really it's not really a culture of comics, right? You've got yeah, um, Japan is big, Korea is big. Um, and in Malaysia, you've got translations of both of those. You've got the Japanese and uh, Korean translations that come in uh, and a very small amount of North American comics, but that's about it. And uh, so it, it was really random, actually. I was uh, walking through a mall and in the mall, they had an uh, uh, independent book fair, right? So just booths of independent booksellers and, and print, printers, whatever it is. And I happened to see a table selling comics. So I approached the table. I'm flipping through their books. You know, it's, it's nice stuff. Some of it in Malaysian, some of it in English. Uh, so I start talking to the guy behind the, the table. I just, you know, yeah, just friendly chat, chit chat with him. And then I, I mentioned, oh, that I also, I, I draw comics. I'm from Canada. Uh, and he's like, oh, what kind of comics do you do? And I said, oh, well, science fiction. I kind of describe a little bit what it is. and. Um, uh, he, he was like, oh, well, I'd, I'd be interested in actually seeing it. So we arranged to have coffee together. It turns out that the guy was also the actual publisher. He, he wasn't just working the booth. He was the publisher. So he's like, yeah, well, we'll go for coffee next week. And so I went with, uh, I had printed mini comics uh, with me. So I, I brought those with me and we met for coffee and he, he flipped through them and he's like, yeah, I will publish this for you in Malaysia, you know, if you, if you don't mind. And I was like, well, no, I don't mind. And I can't, I can't really think of a reason why not to like the, the contract was very simple. You know, they maintain the rights for Malaysia and Singapore. Um, you know, it's like, it, I, I had all the creative rights. Everything was very simple and clean. And I was like, well, I just couldn't think of a reason why not to. And um, like I said, for, it also served as like, um, I guess a confirmation, something to to affirm me in my work to say that I've been doing something that somebody else finds value in, which just it means something, right? And I'm a very um, I work very solitary, so I don't show it to a lot of people. I show it to my brothers, uh, and that's about it. So, I, and I'm not I don't have a huge online presence or anything like this. So, um, yeah, it just meant a lot to have somebody else find value in what I was doing. Uh, then I moved back home before the book ever came out. And then I went, I flew back to Malaysia for the launch of the book, uh, came home with about 250 copies of it and uh, just started, you know, I sold some and, and gave some away. And then uh, that's how I ended up finding a, a publisher at TCAF um, in 2018 is when I met uh, Keith at New Friday. And that's how, that's how that worked out. I helped that's a lot great. to have a printed book, you know. Totally, totally. So are you still collecting royalty checks then from Malaysia? Uh, yeah, not a lot. Uh, the, the print run was small. It's not, it, it was never really intended for uh, to make a lot of money. For me, it was more just the idea of getting it out there. And actually, the last time I talked to the publisher over there, I had asked him to uh, donate whatever whatever amount was going to be coming to me. I'm not sure if you guys, you probably don't aren't aware because uh, you have no connections over there, but I, <clears throat> I still have friends in uh, in Malaysia, and they, they suffered a terrible flooding um, this year. Uh, again, climate change, uh, disasters, uh, whatever you want to call it, you know, so um, I just told them to donate whatever it is that was coming to me, just donate it to the, uh, you know, the victims of the flooding. So 
if there was any anything coming to me, it's it's not anymore. <laughs> That's great. That's just you know when someone says I I found a or a publisher in Malaysia decided to take a chance on me. The first thing I think of is like, that's one of those like too good to be true stories. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like it was a genuinely good experience for you. And that's, that's so great to hear. Yeah, no, it was just, I mean, it's a small outfit. They're just two, two guys running the show and, you know, they, they publish mostly local. It's all, actually, it's all local stuff. So I'm kind of surprised they even took a chance on it. Like they haven't published book two and, and they likely won't because after I, after I left, they switched from a straight publishing model to uh, crowdfunding on a per book uh, basis. And it just doesn't make sense to, you know, to be crowdfunding a book across. I can't do any real promotion in person, anything like that. It's not like it's sold huge numbers for them either. So, you know, it, it didn't really make sense for them to continue with it, but I, yeah, I'm still super still a happy good connection it and it, it still worked out for you. Yeah, that's great. Of course. So. Yeah. So now the question that I had for you was, okay, so I work as uh, I write and draw my own stories. I don't write a script. I really jump right from uh, thinking about the stories. I ruminate for a long time and then I sit down and thumbnail it out with a script and draw it. So now you, on the other hand, are a writer. Uh, I assume, do you and Steven know each other outside? Like, did you know each other before? Is this one of these things where you guys have always kind of thought about, let's make a comic one day and then you jumped into it and did it? or uh well i'll let you answer go you go ahead yeah yeah no we we did know each other beforehand actually we met because we both bartended at the same restaurant funny enough um so he had steven has his degree in fine arts and i had my degree in english and we always used to sort of um you know nerd out about comics while, while we were working and uh kind of j joked about making comics. And then one summer, the two of us went to San Diego Comic-Con together. Um, and like we both ended up getting tickets and getting in and booked uh, a week trip there. And we walked through San Diego Comic-Con and um, you know, there's comics everywhere, obviously. And we joked then, or we sort of like more seriously joked about, you know, like yeah, we should, we should make a comic. We should actually try and, and make a comic and then we came back and we didn't we didn't do anything <laughs> so um i went to i got accepted into law school uh, and i went to the university of calgary for for law school and mid well, at the end of my first year there uh, i came home for a few weeks to to winnipeg which is where i'm from and Stephen and i were uh, chatting and we decided we were going to go for a drive together to the, to the comic book store. And, and Steven had said, we should actually make a comic this time. You know, like I want to make this, he had taken a, a comics making course with some other friends of ours, uh, GMB Kamichuk Gregory and his studio mate, Justin Curry, who is known as chasing artwork. Uh, so Steven was, was juiced on making comics and uh, those guys make a living making comics. So as someone who um, always loved art, I think Steven wanted to try and, and continue, continue doing art in his life. And so he actually approached me about making comics. And um, we, we drove to the comic shop together and he gave me this idea that he'd been cooking up 
um, about a, a barman, funny enough, I ironic enough, um, who uh, worked on a battlefield and never really paid attention to what was going on on the battlefield because he was caught up in his own stories. And the two of us started brainstorming this idea that would eventually become the book Infinite Universe. And so um, the idea we developed together and then from there, I would take the, that idea and I would script it out and I would be sending Stephen ideas all the time about it and asking for his input and we'd be making changes based on what he thought. And then, you know, like a standard comics collaboration, I'd give him that script and then he would produce artwork. And while he was making art in those early days, you know, I was writing, but I felt like I wasn't doing enough because as a writer, um, once the script's done, what do you, what do you do with your time? Right. And the <laughs> so, time between, uh, between the writing and drawing, there's can be a lap of, uh, Oh, totally. Weeks, months. <laughs> oh, totally. Well, and this idea that like I could write a page of comics in, you know, half hour and it's going to take, Stephen, you know, six to eight hours to actually illustrate it. And we're supposed to be partners in the relationship. It just, it didn't make sense to me why I shouldn't be doing more. And I think that that first impulse has really driven my attitude as a creative ever since, or as a collaborative partner, um, because I then started learning how to letter. And um, I started taking on some freelance jobs, which I cringe to look at now because they're so amateur looking. Mm -hmm. And I wonder like what happened to those projects? Um, Cause I almost want to apologize to the creatives <laughs> on them now. Um, but so there was this impetus to, to do more in the partnership. And so in my collaborations now, aside from being the writer, I like to letter my own work obviously. And I'll, I've taken on the like layout for, for when you're getting something prepared for printing. And I try to deal with any of the publishing work and, you know, trying to get any funding for the book or trying to help that book grow and, and find, help that creative or the, the artist as much as I can um, make a living on their work without them having to do all of that themselves and spend all of their time actually making the art. Um, right. And in that sense, it's, it becomes sort of a closer to equal time commitment, even though I feel like it's never actually going to be equal because I understand how difficult it is to be an artist. Yeah, it probably helps that you're close to the artist and that you are aware you're not like a full arm length away being like sending a script and waiting for the art impatiently or whatever. If you're close to the artist, you can understand that you know, the time that it takes or, or whatever it is. So is this intended to be um, like a, a, not necessarily ongoing, but it feels as though the characters and the setting are, are set up to be able to have multiple adventures, you know, to be able, you know, you've got your, your, your cast of characters. Is this something that you're hoping to do? Or is it something that you've planned on doing? Yeah, it's the, it's the sort of story where we initially, like any first, or any early comics maker, we had these grandiose ideas of this epic 
story and um, talking to our friend Gregory, um, he pointed out to us that it's, there's a lot of value in being able to finish a work from, right. from start to finish and be able to produce something and, and prove that you can finish something. And so we restructured the story and essentially took a six issue story and turned it, or a, a nine issue story and turned it into a three issue story, um, which is what that first book ended up being. And we, we structured it in a way that the story comes to an endpoint, but we leave the opportunity open for, as you said, further adventures. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the sort of thing where we definitely have talked about returning to in the future, um, but we don't have a timeline on it. And it's the sort of thing that we would want to make sure we were coming back with a good enough story to, to do it. We don't just want to continue it on if and, and spin our wheels for lack, lack of a better term. Um, so, you know, never say never, but it's the sort of thing where um, it has to be the right idea. And if that time does come, I'm really excited about it because I've seen how much Steven's art has evolved in um in the the time since we finished the artwork on that book which is a couple years ago now i feel like uh when i'm reading it i it'd be interesting to talk to steven because he'd be the artist but i feel was it drawn fairly chronologically did he draw it you know from start to finish yeah yeah like 100 yeah i feel like um i see a real progression in fact there's there's even a, a point where i feel like he um I won't say he changed styles, but he, he almost fit, changes the finish and goes with a bit less of a pencil line finish and a bit more of a heavier ink line. And uh, yeah, for me, I got to say, I, I preferred it that way. I like it. It, it became a bit more uh, bold in, in its in its line work. And yeah, yeah, I feel like I can really see a progression from start to finish. So I, yeah, no, it's it's always exciting to see. And, and I like I said in the initial message that I sent you on Twitter, I, I especially love the color. I feel like it's... Uh, so far outside the normal coloring that we see in comics and that's part of what i really like about it is just the um yeah the experimental nature that it it complements the kind of loose line work that he uses in his in in his uh character art and Mm -hmm. and applies like a a real painterly quality to it that i i like yeah and i mean to his credit in that like that book is both of ours first comic um but he hadn't been making even like small comics before that this was really his first full foray into making sequential art in that in that way Mm -hmm. and what what blows my mind even to this day is the we had a print deadline coming up because we wanted to print some copies um and hand sell them which is what we did right before the book got published or was picked up by a by our publisher and I want to say that he did like the last two thirds of that book within a month, uh, within like 35 days, he was having, there were some days where he was having two pages per day days. And I would argue that that la- it's the last part of the book where his art is, it's at, is at its best. Yeah. Um, so, so it's yeah, incredible I, to think that, yeah, he's under this incredible amount of stress and he was still, he put out such a, an amazing um, 
uh, such amazing artwork at the end because I once again I know how much time it takes to do these pages so um the fact that he was able to to hit our deadline on time completely blew me away then and it it still does now so uh, when did when did you finish working on this when was the book finished and uh if you don't mind my asking yeah yeah we first finished the like we finished the art of the book in 20 i want to say it was 2018 okay um and then obviously our publisher published it in 20 what year is it now time is meaningless in 2021 <laughs> yeah. um and it was be, like you said it was because we had um printed some copies and had a physical book to show people that we were eventually picked up by our publisher. Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes sense. They're able to look at it. And like you were saying, having a, a finished product, you know, uh, I'm not sure whose mantra it is, but, you know, finished, not perfect is, is more important, you know, than not having anything at all. So yeah, it, it goes, it goes a, a long way. It's funny that you say 2018, because that's the same time I finished book two. My portion of book two is finished in 2018 as well. And just delays with everything that happened between now, then and now uh, meant that it only came out uh, last year. But, you know, I have to imagine, like, so I've seen how Stephen has leveled up his artwork since we finished these pages. So I can only imagine how much your art style has probably evolved and improved since then also yeah i i think so i i mean i hope so i always cringe when i when i go back and look at my old stuff it's always just kind of like oh i, I would do so many things differently i feel that way about um my book or infinite universe also um especially in the lettering because i probably re-lettered that book three times as i was learning how to do it mm -hmm. um when as it first came out but the the funny story is that when our publisher approached, or then this publisher approached about publishing the book. Obviously, they needed all of uh, the digital files from us. And I don't know about you, but uh, the file organization for my first ever comic was not good in any sense. <laughs> and uh, one of the books, one of the pages that had, or one of the files had actually gone missing for one of the pages. It had been um, saved over at one yeah. point. So I needed to re letter that page. And you know, now the, the lettering is, is technically, like from a technical standpoint, it's correct, but I've developed such a better style and um, I like to think I have a more refined taste in lettering styles now that if I had to re-letter that book, it would probably look very different yeah. um, in where I am now. And to re so I had to re-letter a single page, but I had to make it look exactly like the lettering from three years ago when I was just learning how to letter. So I had to make it almost purposely not as good as it should be um, or could be now. Just to um, blend it in. Oh yeah, so that it didn't stick out. Yeah. And so I can only, from, so you know, lettering and illustration are completely different, but even I know from a artistic standpoint how much you can change in three years um, and evolve in three years and it's so, funny or I don't know if funny is the right word but like this infinite universe is technically the latest book or the newest book that I've released but I feel like it's not at all it's no longer reflective of where I am as an artist yeah absolutely and I uh 100 so percent <laughs> I, I, so yeah. 
Yeah, no, go ahead. Well, just that by the time my first book came out, it was almost 10 years old. So if you can imagine how much things change in 10 years, uh, like I was, yeah, I was just done talking about it, looking at it. I didn't want to, you know, but at the same time, it, it serves as the foundation for what comes next. Right. So I, but I'm glad that I finally have a book too, to talk about. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. It's this, it's, it's completely, completely wild. Um, but like you said, you said finish not perfect. And I think that's absolutely correct. But the other similar thing that Stephen and I used to say to each other when we were working on this book before we'd made anything was that uh, we need to finish this one book before anyone in this industry is going to take us seriously because there are a million people that say, you know, I've got this great idea or I've been working on this project for, for, for 10 years and they never actually make it. They never finish it. And why, if we want it to be published by anyone, how could we convince a publisher to take us seriously? Um, the easiest way is to, is to just make the thing. And oftentimes I've, I've heard this said about writing prose um, as well as writing comics, but the, the best way how to learn how to do something is to try doing it and learn as you're, as you're making it. So some of the best ways to make comic or to learn how to make comics are to start making comics. And I really think that that's true. And I really have always believed this, um, this mantra of finish your project, uh, show that you can, that you can deliver on the, the things that you've promised or the things that you've said that you're going to do. And it's, uh, I don't remember who said it, but it's a really famous saying in comics that um, if you can be two of three qualities, you'll make it in comics. And that's um, punctual, like you hit your deadlines, yep. you're, a, a good, you're good to work with, and your art is really good. And if you could be any two of those three things, then you'll have a career in comics. And you know, I'm not at a point where I'm going to vouch for that, but I'd like to think that it's true. Um, you don't necessarily, you don't need to be Todd, a Todd McFarlane level artist if you are good to work with and you're not causing delays to your publisher. Right. You're punctual. You're putting product out that people can see what they, what they can read, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. The other thing that I was going to ask you about is, oh, we were talking about second language, writing in your second language and I just wanted to take a moment to talk about how insanely difficult I can only imagine it is to try and write in a second language, uh, because I know how hard it is to write in a first language. And I know how hard it is to learn a second language because I'm in Northern France and didn't speak French before I got here. So the concept of trying to write a book in, in French um, or any second language at any point is it sort of like makes my brain turn into a pretzel at the thought. Uh, so Full credit to you for even considering that. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I did initially try to do it myself. And then I just felt it was so stilted. Like myself reading it, I just felt the dialogue was just dry and stilted. It didn't feel like people were talking. So that's when I decided a, a translator was the best the best path forward. And uh, that I still stand by it. If I, if, if I find somebody ready to publish it for the Quebec market or for France or whatever, 
there's no way I'm translating it myself. I will let somebody else handle that business. And yeah, um, I'm not sure how how I'll do for the lettering. I've been for since the first book I did my lettering myself digitally in this, and then after that, since book two, I've been doing it all on the page by hand. So it's a, a yeah. I was I'm looking sure at how, it on your. I was looking at it on your page on in your book, and I was wondering. I could tell that it was hand hand lettered, and I was interested to hear what you how you found that process because I think that hand lettering is this forgotten art form that people don't really do anymore and I know that I am not a, like I have never hand lettered I've only ever done it digitally and I'd almost be scared to try and do it on top of a page um well so please tell me what that's like yeah the the process that I've discovered for myself and it works I mean again this is it works for me um so the way that I work is uh my pencils are done um well, first, my thumbnails are done on paper, on just regular paper with my script. I'm scripting next to my thumbnails. And then from there, I transfer into my digital pencils. So that's where I'm working in Clip Studio. And I'll do full-size pencils uh, digitally, laying out my dialogue um, using the digital tools inside of Clip Studio. <clears throat> then I convert, I convert the entire file into a non-photo blue, including the text that I've placed and print the whole page onto an 11 by 17 uh, bristle board. So the whole thing is printed out in non-photo blue. And then I, I really literally just trace the lettering. So I'm, I'm essentially tracing digital lettering onto the artboard. But the reason that, that I choose to do it that way instead of just staying with the digital lettering is that I, I really feel that there's a visual marriage. Like it feels more organic, more tied to the page somehow um so that's mainly the reason why i did it because like like i said book one is di is digitally lettered and it looks fine it's probably arguably it's more readable you know it's, it's definitely cleaner but I, I i feel like um yeah i just feel like there's a connection to the page when it's lettered by hand on the on the page like that i think organic is the exact right word and as someone who's now been lettering for a handful of years, I think that's one of the most uh, important tasks of any letterer is to find a way to make the, um, the text and the word balloons look like they belong on those pages right. and to make them look like they like to, to prevent them from, from leaping out and appearing to be sort of superimposed over the art. So I a hundred percent understand where you're coming from. Um, when it comes to the hand lettering. And that's really interesting then. So do you, you have, a, do you, you do original art then still, but it's almost this hybrid method. Yeah. Like the, the penciling is done hundred percent digitally um, just because of uh, just the simplicity of it. You know, if I do a drawing and I find that the character is too small, well, I can just scale it up instead of having to erase it and redraw it or whatever it is, you know, like it just allows me so much more flexibility. I can, you know, really kind of nail down the composition or the, the drawing that I want. And then once I print it, then I'm, you know, of course, inking is its own complicated process, you know, and things can go sideways during the inking process as well. But I, I just said, uh, it gives me also basically infinite chance. You know, if I, if I mess up on that page, I can just print it out again, 
and try again and it's not it, it although it rarely happens but it's just something that's a, it's a comforting thing to know that my pencils are separate from my inks i can try this as many times as it takes to get it right and um yeah so it, but it, it really is a, like you say hybrid when i scan my inks in i would say there's probably still a good 10 percent of the artwork the last 10 percent is digital you know i'll go in i'll clean things up move things around uh, sometimes if I'm in a real rush, uh, my black fills, I'll do those digitally instead of painting them on the board. I'll just, you know, it's so much easier to click fill, but then my page doesn't look as nice afterwards when I, when it's on my table, I like the blacks to be filled or whatever it is, but, um, yeah, yeah I'm still, I still have that, uh, attachment to the page and to drawing on a page. I, I do really like it. Like book one, was actually a hundred percent digital. The, the artwork finished. I, I inked it digitally and um yeah after that i went back to inking i found i had more time for book two and i just i again i prefer the organic look of ink on paper and then yeah i can touch it up digitally but there's something about that that initial contact yeah i think the you know there's more and more artists that um do their art digitally and i think that there's something just it's a little, I'm not going to say more magical, but there's just something magical about traditional artwork that you can't possibly replace. Um, there was that whole, and we will not get into this topic, but there was that whole temporary boom for um, NFT artworks equating digital art to traditional art for art collectors. And right. I had never quite understood what that, like the, how you could possibly compare the, compare the two. Um, so just then to, unless you have some more comic questions that you want to talk about, I have a, one more question that I wanted to ask. And that is purely as someone who is living in France right now, tell me what you miss the most about your time here. Oh, uh, the food. It's not, it's not even a, it's not even a, a, a hesitation. The access to bakeries. And the, the, the quality of every bakery, you go in there and the pastries are just amazing. Um, I also find the produce to be better. I don't know if it's because it's produced in the Mediterranean or something like this, but like fruits and vegetables are just amazing. Um, and then, yeah, just the food. I think they, they, there's just a real pride in, in the quality of their food in general. Of course, I miss everything to do with Bandesne. I have access to some of it here in Quebec. Like there is, there are stores here that carry Bandesne, but it still isn't, it's not on the same scale. Like it's just not, you know, in France, you go to a record store and there'll be a comic section, you know, like it just is part of the, even grocery stores have comics in them. You know, it's, it's just part of the culture. So I, of course I miss that, but of everything, the food. The <laughs> so food, while yeah. you're there, enjoy it. Oh, uh, me and my, I'm here with my girlfriend and we say quite regularly how much the bakeries here have ruined our, our taste in bread when we return forever, because grocery store bread is not, it's not the same as what you're going to pick up at a, at a bakery here. And you're right about the produce. Um, and I think part of it is, like you said, it's because it's all local. It's all made. It's, it's grown in France. It's not shipped across the world um, right. like a lot of our produces in Canada. And I think there's a lot to be said for the emphasis that France has on its local economy, which is that there's a lot of pride in supporting 
things made in France, such as the produce. Um, the that cheese I, I, and uh, oh my I, god, yeah! I'm sure you've got cheese festivals, apple festivals. Uh, you know, they 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 have all these things, like you say. But I'm I'm sure it's to spur the local economies. But they'll have a festival for oh, the cheese is ready, cheese festival. Oh, the wine is ready. Now it's a wine festival. You know, it's uh, yeah, yeah. There's so much in the cultural differences that I know we're going to to miss so much when we come back to Canada. So I'm glad that I get to talk to you about it. Who is going, you've already experienced that uh, missing things being away. And you can tell me about how you can confirm my suspicions of how much I'm going to miss things when we come back. But uh, I think there's a lot to be said in Canada in terms of the Canadian indie comic scene. And I think that there is a lot there to celebrate. Um, so I'm really happy that there is someone else in the scene who loves Bon Dessine. That would be you. Um, and I hope that that will continue to spread and we can keep growing the, the indie comics scene in Canada. And I think that sequential magazine is doing a great job of spreading that awareness too, even if um, it's purely through the, the sequential magazine awards each year. Um, I can't really thank them enough for the work that they do in spreading Canadian comics and I'm, you know, I'm excited to see how the, the industry continues to grow because there are so many amazing indie comics creators in Canada. Agreed. And I look forward to meeting the two of you in person at a festival at some point. Uh, it's bound to happen. Oh, yeah. No, we have uh, Stephen and I have a table booked for Fan Expo Canada in Toronto if you're around come uh, August. When is that? In August? End of August, you know, if the world is open. I will write that down and I will see if I can't uh, Fan Expo. August. See if we can drag uh, Jordan out there too with us. Yeah, that'd be great. Great. Well, this was this was great to chat with you, Mark. Um, it really was a, a great conversation, and you know the the scene isn't that big in Canada, so I'm sure we'll run into each other somewhere out there. All right. Well, uh, good luck with everything. Uh, you'll have to pass my uh, you know congratulations to Stephen. I really did enjoy the book. I, I wish you the best and good luck in the in the uh, uh, awards and all of that stuff. Thanks. Uh, good luck to you too. Thank you to Mark and Lyndon for joining us for this discussion. Mark's work can be found at homecomics.ca. Lyndon's work can be found at infinitestudio.ca and you can vote for either one of their books to win best graphic novel at sequentialpulp.ca Special thanks to Matt Campbell for composing our music and Jeff Harmatz for designing our logo. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Creators on Comics podcast. Podcast